Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network proudly presents to you the Trios Tag Team Champions of the World, the Masked Library Kevin Hellions, Sweet Maddie Treats, and the Educator of Excellence, collectively known as the House Show. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of The House Show. It is me, Mr. Maddie Treats. It's I'm feeling cold. Are you guys feeling a little cold? We're, we're in the great white north. The uh, The snow is blowing. Uh, no, actually, I'm, I'm stuck still inside my house, quarantined. But you know what's keeping me company? The great podcast on that retro network. You know, subscribe to that feed. You got content every day. Just relive your childhood. It's great nostalgia. Uh, Mr. Educator of Excellence, how are you doing? You are here with me, uh, not like bundled up next to me, but you, you know what I mean. How are you doing in your quarantine? Oh, week four of the official away from school quarantine, getting some quality time in on that award-winning WWE Network, getting my retro on with my nostalgia goggles. Looking forward to discussing today's show in your house four. Uh, look, looking forward to uh, some of the unique uh, gimmicks that were tr- being tried out or sought after by some of the former greats of the WWF. Now, because in your house four, Great White North takes place well in the Great White North, we're stuck inside. So, Mr. Educator, what retro games have you been playing? Uh, sadly, I haven't been doing too, too much retro, uh, certainly dusting off the, uh, the switch, getting my, uh, my Zelda on playing a little Mario Kart with the, uh, the seven year old and, uh, been doing a little bit of, uh, a little bit of retro. I got the PSP going, playing some old school final fantasy four as well. So, okay. Okay. Well, I know. Going on the Final Fantasy remakes coming out, so I just oh, very to... much so. Looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, and moving on to a man that knows video games. We're talking to the Mass Library, <laughs> aka Team Hellions, aka Sparky. Let's talk to Mister Kevin. Decent, Kevin. How are you today? I'm doing well. You know, I do know some stuff about video games because my six-year-old has to watch people play video games on YouTube for half of his existence. So I'm well familiar. I'm familiar with Roblox and Minecraft and uh, Hello Neighbor and Granny. And now there's some game called Piggy that I wasted uh, like a good half hour tonight finding out when the next chapter comes out. I did not know Mickey James was in a video game. (laughs) Jeez. Oh, thank you. So, oh, thank you. Um, so <laughs> that <laughs> little piggy did have roast beef. Oh, geez, Louise, that's too soon. Too soon, um, too soon. <laughs> so, Mister, Mister, uh, Mister Library. Uh, what what sort of YouTubers does he does he watch? Certain YouTubers or just certain games? Like, is he a ninja? He, kid? He, no, he does. Um, Kindly Kean is a big one right now, and uh, Think Noodles. I, I'm just shaking this my is... head like I know who these people are. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's, that's his two favorite YouTube gamer channel. Oh, and FGTV. Yeah, if you guys ever want to go down a rabbit hole, look up like YouTuber and TikTok like beef. Like when you have two YouTubers that like hate each other and then they create content about how much they hate the other one. It's fascinating stuff. You go, It's a rabbit hole you don't want to go down. But anyways, we're here we're talking about In Your House 4, The Great White North. 
This in Your House takes place on October 22nd, 1995 in beautiful Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada at the Winnipeg Arena. Uh, They drew about uh, over 10,000 people for this. Pretty it good. looked big on it, camera. Absolutely, it, it looked, looked like a real good sized crowd. Yeah, um, especially with what they've been drawing earlier. This probably um, would you say has a lot to do with uh, Bret Hart uh, being one of the top draws. Absolutely, Canada always draws more. Well, always draws more when there's you know a popular Canadian wrestler, which Bret Owen Bulldog has his connection with the Hart family. Um, like it doesn't shock me that they did get this much. Uh, you said it was in Winnipeg, Canada, though. Yeah, Winnipeg, Manitoba. Yeah, Winnipeg, Manitoba. I, 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 I thought, I thought much like in your house one, we went back to Syracuse. There's a lot of Syracuse talk tonight. There, there will be some Syracuse talk, <laughs> um, on this episode, and we'll we'll get into that after uh, national anthems are sung. But uh, uh, I do want to point out. This crowd, Canada was probably hungry for a pay-per-view because the previous pay-per-view Canada had before this was WrestleMania 6. Was it really? that? Yeah. I was wondering. It's a five years. Uh, and I can't even. Well, I No, never mind. I went to SummerSlam. So I was going to say, I can't remember the last time Canada was in a. In a uh, it was uh, last year, of course. So uh, let's get started, though. Let's get right into it. We have Tony Wilson singing, oh, Canada. Getting us kicked off. Now, this is the is this the first time we've seen the national anthem sung on um on an, in your house? Uh, I believe yes. so. I don't remember um at the Syracuse show that we had went to live, nor do I remember in either of the feeds for in your house two or in your house three there being a national anthem. But I mean, that was part of the Canadian pride, though, to have Canadian right. national anthem open the show. Yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of um, I wonder if they did it for the I should go back and look to see if they were singing the national anthem before the big five at this point. Usually WrestleMania almost always has one. And then it didn't seem like you really like when they realized how well Lillian Garcia could sing, they would put her on TV a lot for the last year for a year after 9-11. They always showed it. But uh, I mean, like WrestleMania had their the montage this year of previous manias when people sang. But that's the only time I remember anyone singing it is at WrestleMania. I want to say, uh, for the at least for, for recently, they've been doing it like at Rumbles and Summer Slams and stuff. But maybe that's just because I was there live for some of them, and I'm thinking, oh, it was maybe it wasn't on TV. Uh, Summer Slam. I don't remember the year off the top of my head. The one that was in DC that had. Edge and Matt Hardy, when Matt Hardy had just come back after being fired, and the whole angle with the love triangle with him and Lita, uh, Lillian Garcia actually, well, yeah, sang the national anthem, and she was in the ring lip syncing. They actually, she taped it uh, like 15, 20 minutes prior to uh, them opening the doors, and we were actually in the lobby, and we could hear Lillian Garcia singing at about 5.30, 5.45 p.m., and then live on the show, she ended up, you know, was out in the ring and was lip syncing her own song. But it was a, it was an amazing recording. The girls got pipes on her without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. And of course, when we went to the house show, uh, you know, a couple months back, you know, they they have that great. Uh, they just play a tape now. It's just yeah. <laughs> and then they throw a flag on the screen and everyone stands up and, and claps and goes crazy for it. So, 
Um, but why don't we get started? And really, let's let's go back home. Let's go to Syracuse, New York. Here, uh, we have the Gorilla Monsoon demanding that Shawn Michaels forfeit his title because you know he just got beat up in Syracuse by I think it was like fifteen soldiers by this point. <laughs> what do you guys What do you guys remember by that? Especially being someone that lives you know in our an hour north of Syracuse, you know, within 60 miles. Uh, what did you guys hear back then? Uh, certainly different uh, different versions of the story since growing up and watching different shoot interviews and, and other wrestlers' takes on it. But apparently, you know, there there's some kind of skirmish at a local club, and uh, Michaels was with a couple of other wrestlers, apparently the Bulldog. Uh, British Bulldog and the one, two, three kid were with him at a bar and Michaels being Michaels thinking that certainly at least the many versions of the story are the Michaels thinking that he's untouchable and can talk to who he wants to talk to and flirt with whoever he wants to flirt to with and run his mouth the way he wants to run his mouth. Just apparently, you know, irritated a wrong group of gentlemen that were there and, uh, Apparently there was a big throwdown, whether it was in the bar or just outside, uh, out front. Um, but yeah, I guess um, some somebody put their hands on Michaels, and uh, he got a thrashing. So my my recollection at the time was it was on our local news, and uh, you know it's possible that we knew the people telling the story on the news because it it was uh, considered the a big local sports story. There was also a big national sports story. Uh, I remember my mom um, coming to me, telling me that she knew Shawn Michaels real name because now it's in the paper, you know, Michael Hickenbottom who performs as Shawn Michaels for the world wrestling federation, all that stuff. He wasn't going to press charges. It was forgotten about. Then it pops up again about a month later when he decided to press charges. And I, I always heard the story. There was multiple people that did it. So in my research for this, and I watched a lot of shoot interviews and articles and all sorts of stuff, and wrestling wrestlers, even when they're being honest, are still working you. I think the true story is a combination of all the stories. So it sounds like they were at a gentleman's club, Shawn Michaels, Bulldog, one, two, three, kid, got drunk. Sean was going too far, hitting on some girl there who was there with her boyfriend, who is a Marine stationed at Fort Drum, which is right outside of Watertown, New York. This is also the only gentleman's club in that part of New York State. So it's, you know, people are going to be drawn to going there. Sean apparently was in the front of a car and rolled down the window and yelled something more at the girl and the guy. At this point, the guy grabbed Sean and threw the window and pulled him out of the car. Yanks him out of the car, yep. Yeah, kids passed out, because that was apparently what he did back then. Bulldog is in the back seat. It's a two-door coupe. They, they would have to fold the seat down so someone could climb in the back. So for some reason, the biggest of the three is in that back seat. So apparently he also messed up couldn't get out of the vehicle to help. By the time he gets out, Sean Michael's already gotten beat up. The Marines beat him up. His buddies are just there watching because there's no point. 
you know, one guy's kicking his butt. Why do you need all of us? When they saw Bulldog come out in his massive size, then it was, oh, we need to get involved because this guy's huge. Apparently, Bulldog had some injuries, nothing near what Shawn Michaels had. But he had some injuries and was still wrestling the next night. And uh, Kid had something, but still wrestled the next night and all. Michaels, however, was messed up. The story from there, who knows, considering the sources. The story from there, though, is they take off. They go back to the hotel. They wake up Sonny for whatever was going on with her and Michaels. Wake her up and go, Sean's hurt. He needs help. She comes to the hotel, sees him. Decides to be the voice of reason amongst all the allegedly inebriated wrestlers. Takes him to the hospital. They had to do surgery. They had to do plastic surgery. They had to do all sorts of stuff for him because of how bad he was. Even when he comes out a little later in the evening on In Your House, he looks bad. Like he, and that's cleaned up for TV. And he still looks bad. And it's you know, sometime later. So however he looked the next day or that night must have been awful. And I mean, it was legit. Like there's tons of stories of Shawn Michaels just saying, I don't want to lose my title. I'm going to fake an injury. I'm going to leave. I'm going to do the, you know, I've lost my smile, whatever. This one's real. (laughs) Shot his mouth off, was too cocky. There's always, and, and we can think of examples from personal life and anyone listening can too. There's always a small guy that shoots his mouth off because he thinks a big guy is going to save him. And this night, he, no one saved him. And, and I think, too, always hearing about it, it's amazing how, you know, I alluded to earlier, you know, it started off as three Marines and then six Marines. And then he was jumped by nine Marines. It becomes a yeah. fish story, you know, or just keeps getting bigger and bigger just to kind of save face. Uh, and that also, too, was Michael's. Michael's in the 90s was always changing his story. And And that's also, I mean... When when you have wrestling evolving in this time, which it was, the click was starting to move wrestling. The Monday Night War was starting to move wrestling. All this is the steroid trial even is all moving wrestling away from what it was. But Michaels broke two of the rules that were still in place at the time. One, heels and faces don't ride together. Right. So you got him, Bulldog, and Kid in the car. And two, back to the territory days, if you get beat up by a non-wrestler in the territory then you're dead in that territory because why don't we just hire that random guy and he can be our star wrestler if he can beat you up see you later move on to another territory and there's tons of history of this happening in the territory days of some guy goes out runs his mouth at a bar gets his butt kicked and then next thing you know they're like see you later go to another state come back in a couple years and maybe everyone will forget or maybe it'll seem stronger then but you had to appear to be the toughest guy as a wrestler. And if you weren't, then why would anyone pay to see you? I guess one of the things I question regarding the whole Gorilla Monsoon announcement is that, you know, it, it was, quote, one of the most difficult decisions he's ever had to make in his career as being the, the president and, and who's in charge of the WWF. If, if Michaels wasn't, like, cleared to medically compete, then why did they think it was safe for him to fly? Because he didn't drive to Manitoba. I was wondering that, too. Why, if he's so injured that he cannot compete in the ring, why do you have him there to be a part of a storyline, to have him, you know, publicly come out and be all messed up in the face and show his injuries unless maybe they're cosmetic and there's more makeup or there's other things to the story. I mean, 
you, you know, you claim from your sources that he had to have like cosmetic surgery and so on. And he, it, you know, looks like he had a couple of black eyes. It looked like he had a pretty good blemish on his cheek, probably from some sutures, uh, uh, some stitches that were on his face. But you know, if, if he couldn't compete, why is he flying all the way to drop the title on TV to hand it over and to try to start furthering a storyline, a storyline that, they absolutely did nothing with. Um, Shawn Michaels was never involved with the Intercontinental Championship after this. They they never did a, a, a follow up with Dean Douglas and Shawn Michaels. They never did a follow up with Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels and or anything like that since then. Well, I guess I don't know. Maybe they got cold feet and decided to change direction a- after this. Who knows? Yeah, and and also too, just to, just to think about this. Michaels comes out during this, just to kind of foreshadow, Michaels does come out and, as we were saying, looked bad. The article for the Post Standard, uh, the Syracuse Post Standard, which had the article about Sean getting into a fight, was dated on October 13th, and this pay-per-view is October 22nd. So he would have gotten 10 days earlier. So he's still recovering, obviously, from this, and to still look as bad as he did with the makeup on, with everything, you know, they can hide a lot of stuff, but uh, you can imagine just what those injuries were. I mean, you could tell when he was just looking into the camera and he'd shift his eyes left and right, you could see his right eye still. I mean, there was still blood in the eye. It was completely discolored. He almost looked like he was catatonic, to be honest with you. He looked rough, but again, what is the point of of bringing him out there to drop the belt to advance the storyline? Why don't you just, you know, you have the title, boom, hand it to Dean Douglas? Or why why was it a forfeiture to Dean Douglas? Why not just say it's it's a vacant title and two guys are now the top two contenders are competing? I, I just I feel bad with, you know. In the end, how Dean Douglas comes off with 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 the entire thing. So, yeah, and, and we'll get to that as we go. So let's go to um, another trios, uh, ones that we have beaten for the titles, and that's Vince Jr. and King. They're calling the match. <laughs> uh, they're calling the pay per view. We actually have a uh, looks like we're going to stick with this announced team for a little bit at least. Uh, this is the first time we've had the same announced team for two pay per views in a row. So, uh, way to go. Uh, those guys so let's make a difference with fatu uh he takes on triple h in the first time we see well the second time if you count the lumberjack match but the first time in action uh we see triple h um what did you guys think of this match uh two things stuck out one that we talked about this previous previous uh the head stuck in the rope spot uh, it happens uh, mm-hmm. with Savio where he gets his head stuck at the ropes. And it just, it, it looks dangerous. Very much so. Uh, especially not seeing it over and over again. I mean, it really looks like it could cause a lot of damage. Um, and then um, during the match, I noticed Bella Lugosi, a creature of the night, I think, <laughs> yes. sitting, sitting like front row. I don't think he was official. Do the, Another creature of the night. Was That's he... I don't think was he, he was an official creature of the night? It was very distracting, though. That's all I know. There was a lot distracting in that front row for this entire match. No one knew where they were sitting. <laughs> exactly. It looked like the whole front two rows had screwed up their seating. The creature it took a good like fifteen minutes for them to figure it out, and it ended up some poor little kid ended up getting dumped to the second row behind them. Like everybody shifts oh. to the, from our vantage point down to the left. 
and some poor little kid gets stuck behind a tall adult in the second row. It was like that Potsdam show we went to. <laughs> uh, so a couple of interesting things I noticed uh, from the match. First of all, uh, Fatu doing the new gimmick to make a difference. One of uh, a many that he tried in his time in WWF. I don't know if any of you gentlemen picked up on the hat he was wearing to the ring. Uh, had the big BSK logo on it. Did it really? I missed that. Yeah, he had a BSK. He saw that you know with that winter type hat had the big BSK logo on it. So I saw, I thought that was interesting. Now, uh, now that's no that's the uh, the Bone Skull Crew. Bone Street Is that Crew. It, yeah, Bone Skull that Crew. Um, apparently it was the other back behind the scenes click that was kind of, uh, like undertaker's crew kind of deal. Um, I also thought it was interesting that they were triple H and trying to figure out his character as the, uh, the Greenwich snob Hunter Hearst Helmsley. He, he was do, uh, doing a reprisal of, uh, or a spinoff of Rick Martel's arrogance with the cologne and the spray cologne into the ring. Cause apparently, uh, Fatu, for whatever reason, was uh, uh, stinky smelling. Would have always been impressed with Fatu in terms of like his size and his ability to move around, his flexibility in the ring, his ability to move around. Uh, have always been impressed with Fatu whenever he's uh, given that close, uh, any kind of clothesline, and he sells that clothesline with that twisting 360 bump that he always takes, or has been known to take, uh, selling a big heavy maneuver. I, I don't know if you guys also noticed that Fatu hit a very, very well-known move in the ring that was later used by uh, Mr. DDP, and then eventually uh, the Viper, in that he ended up hitting a running uh, diamond cutter from the corner, or an RKO. Somebody was trying to pick that up and use it as part of their repertoire. I remember actually uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley was initially doing that as a finisher for a maneuver and ended up flip-flopping it around and going towards the pedigree at the end. But uh, yeah, looks like Fatu decided to try that in the move set to see how well. And the, the crowd seemed to pop pretty well for it when he ended up hitting it on Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Uh, I thought it was a fantastic starting match, getting the crowd into it. Great finish with uh, uh, Triple H hitting that pedigree at the very, very end for the one, two, three. And uh, the crowd seemed to pop when the when the finish happened. So it was a good start for the pay-per-view. Devastating pedigree. Like what he used to be able to do with that move, it's such a nasty-looking move. Do you, do you think, like, the bulkier Triple H got, the the worse the pedigree looked? I was thinking it was more trying to not come straight down on his knees. And taking it a little differently. That was my. I wonder guess if we if, if if we look to see when he like tore his quads and stuff like that. If, if that he changed has it up, a... when it shocked me. Yeah. Um. It, what shocked? What did surprise me looking back was how small both men looked. Um. Fatu, when he became Rikishi, got a lot bigger, and Triple H, through saying his prayers and working hard in the gym, taking his vitamins, got a lot bigger as well. But to see like Triple H is is small in this man compared to Fatu and compared to, you know, a lot of other wrestlers on the card. He was like, I would say at this point, Hunter was absolutely smaller than Bulldog. Oh, very much. So, 
Yeah, and during the match, Hunter picked up Fatu for a pile driver and seemed to lift him up with ease. So certainly a definite uh, feat of strength there in the middle of the match and hit a pretty solid-looking pile driver on Fatu. The, the skill is there, which they'll only get better at, but the characters aren't for either. Right, you, absolutely. You can see a lot of the things that, you know, a lot of signature moves, a lot of style, a lot of um, how they work a match coming out of both men that they would just get even better at and then have great characters as well to just raise both of them to that next level. But it's just, it's, it's been interesting because a, a lot of the pieces we see lining up to, to get into Monday Night War and Attitude Era and everything, like a lot of it's already there, but they're just not in the roles yet that take off. So after the match, we get a little pretty boy shows segment up. With, with, with the King, Jerry the King Waller, interviewing uh, Triple H, and then uh, the Hogman, uh, Henry Godwin, comes out with a slop, trying to slop him up. What was the reason for Hog coming out? What was the point? It's just setting up the next one, right? Start setting up the next few. I understand that's what he was doing, but like, there's no like he's supposed to be the face. Why would he come down and just like like there's no reason for it? Didn't they say that they had had a match on Superstars or something? That may have been so, the case. Yeah, I thought that they they had said that uh, Hunter and Godwin had had a match on Superstars recently. And this and, was and certainly uh, certainly the beginning of a feud. Um, that we will uh, talk about culminating at the next in your house, the December pay-per-view when we get there. But I believe they were just planting the seeds for the the, the next feud, uh, mid-card feud between these two guys. And I, I do, it, it is weird to see it because we've seen it in pretty much every show so far. It is weird to see a setup for the next pay-per-view on a pay-per-view, but they're doing it well. Yeah, I didn't think it was like a bad but set up for any for any reason i just thought it was in, in, interesting how it was the face you know, would, yeah yeah it was the face when you would you would think it's vice versa yeah um, oh, um you know quick quick uh thing i noticed during the match though um speaking of uh odd things in the crowd did i spot the bret hart all over t-shirt in the crowd during this match oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah don't worry there's a lot of all over t-shirts and we'll get to those later during our <laughs> shopping segment Maddie treats his shopping extravaganza corner or something. We're going to come up with a segment. I'll put some music in or something. Um, but uh, we have another interview. We all have Doc Hendricks with the Bulldog. Um, but then that kind of leads to our second match on the card. The Smoking Guns as the champs take on Razor in the 1-2-3 Kid. Um, what did you guys think of that match? And did you notice Bella Lugosi getting ejected from his seat during this match? This is the match because oh, wait, I thought he was the people in the front row, the people in the front row it took him 15 minutes. And the first match was eight minutes. So, <laughs> so distracting. This crowd. Oh, just oh, this crowd. What did you guys think of the, this, the tag team uh, tag team match? Um, certainly commentary uh, made light of the fact that. Razor not only has the opportunity to become tag team champions tonight, but then later in the night, Intercontinental champion. So I'm we're starting to see a pattern here on the in your house pay-per-views where you've got wrestlers that are performing double duty and are doing multiple matches. Go back to the Syracuse in your house. You got Bret Hart uh, going against Hakushi and then later Jerry Lawler uh, in that same night. The third pay-per-view that we just reviewed last time. 
We had the Bulldog doing his singles match against Godwin and then ended up being a surprise entrance in the uh, the tag title match where all the titles were on the line. And now you've got Razor Ramon uh, going to be performing double duty with the tag match for the tag team titles. And then actually and, and, and Matt, I just want to point out, too, in pay-per-view, too, you had the roadie pulling double duty in his match with the worst pile driver ever, and then coming out for the Jeff Jarrett match oh, being involved true. in that. Certainly was a second as that as well. So um, while certainly I've made it very clear, I have not been too, too much of a fan of Jerry Lawler in the ring. Absolutely loved the commentary by Lawler in this match. Right at the beginning, busting on the one, two, three kid for his haircut. And, and the bangs that apparently Waltman thought was going to, you know, make him look different and just the unique haircut throughout the match. Um, loved, loved the seeds being planted by the one, two, three kid. And the, uh, as we're approaching the, the main heel turn here, um, the crowd popped huge when Bart Gunn was thrown towards the ropes by Razor. And uh, one, two, three, kid yanked down on the ropes to cause Bart Gunn to tossle out onto the floor. Uh, huge pop by the crowd doing that. There were a couple of tag ins and tag outs where uh, Waltman tagged in Razor, and just before he was going to step out of the ring, he throws this back elbow shot to uh, Bart Gunn, um, and then certainly the uh, the lazy pin at the end getting reversed to finish the match and then the the pseudo tantrum that uh one two three kid throws afterwards and snagging the tag titles just storytelling and they were starting to plant the seeds for the eventual heel turn uh and i thought that you know it's unfortunate that that this story was used at the expense of the you know the tag titles for that night and uh the smoking guns being involved but i mean they weren't really doing too too much more anyways at the time and needed to defend their titles, but I, I I thought it was a great launching point to get get ready to have uh, the one two three kid show the direction that his character was going to be going. It was a good show or a good match. Yeah, and I, I think too, like you're saying, how they're planting the seeds for the for the breakup and the the heel turn. Um, they'd been doing this for a while because you got to remember the one two threes interference from the month before, right? Um, and just having them not be on the same page and really teasing that out—that is something we don't see nowadays. I mean, we—they just go through it so so quickly. No long-term this booking is, you just, anymore, right? Absolutely, and you just see the deterioration of that relationship before your eyes, um, and of course, it leads to a great um, in-your-house match in a, in a couple uh, couple podcasts away. Um, but uh, Mr. Mast Library, what did you think of this? Uh, I thought it was a great match. Razor and Kid work so well together as a team. And like you're saying, you know, this is a longer storyline of, of Kid turning heel, turning against Razor. It, it, it's a very big story for both of them in, in their careers. And that we don't see it, you're absolutely right and all that. I wish it went longer. I wish Razor and Kid won the tag titles and we saw more of this pseudo heel team like kid willing to do more heelish acts and razor action like he doesn't see it oh it's oh, oh geez birds on the floor i, I don't see can do anything i don't know like that would have been a great tag team the heel team that denies their heel team you know that would have been like a really fun gimmick god they work so so well together i i just found myself wishing that there was more of the two of them as a team and it went longer 
do you think maybe that they had to switch gears given the fact that the whole Michaels and Razor having to substitute into the match and and uh, the fact that they ended up giving because you would have expected them to you know with the seeds of the uh, of the heel turn that one two three kid would have challenged for the Intercontinental title and I really don't remember that at all whether it was a raw match certainly wasn't on pay-per-view because the next few pay-per-views Razor Ramon's in the he's in the match with uh, the uh, the traditional Survivor Series uh, match uh, and uh, with where all the heels and the faces were all mixed up um, on the same team and then in the December pay-per-view he he's not involved to my recollection with uh, a match with Waltman um, or no he's in a tag match he's in a tag match with Marty Jannetty against Sid and the one, two, three kid. And then January he's, you know, going against gold dust and dropping the intercontinental title and starting that feud up, up and going. So I'm wondering if they, you know, maybe there was a longer term plan that they had to switch gears on and ultimately turn to kind of fast forwarding this a little bit quicker than they wanted to. I, I could see that. Yeah. With everything else going on for the evening. And, and honestly, you know, you kind of look at who's on the card and, who else were you going to give the Intercontinental title to? You know, Razor makes a lot of sense at that point. Plus, we we know that the Click is, you know, running a lot of things right now too. You know, I could see it screwing up the storyline, but yeah, I had a, I hadn't thought of that before. You know, what would have happened had Michaels not had to leave? Right. Good match though. Yeah, it was it was definitely a, a solid match. You forget how good the Smoking Guns were. Like their tag team work, I, solid, just so, really solid work. They had a yeah. really good double team maneuver. Bart was doing a suplex onto the one, two, three kid, and just before Billy had tagged in, and Billy did like a jumping drop kick to like drop kick uh, Waltman in the chest while he was already vertically up in the air for the suplex. And yeah, I mean they they were a really solid team. They were together for three years too. The Smoking Guns. I mean that's a long run for a team. Prior to WWF, I don't remember knowing of them. Any idea what their work was before they came to WWF? Were they a tag team together? Were they just two um, they put together? No, they were together. They were some southern indie promotion. Okay. And uh, WWF got a hold of the tapes. You know, because, I mean, that's how you got hired. That you sent out your indie tapes and just hoped. But, Any uh, idea yeah, were they doing uh, wearing a je- wearing jeans or were they wearing traditional gear prior to that? I wonder. It sounded like they were in traditional gear. They weren't like full blown cowboy gimmick yet, but they were you know somewhere in between cowboy and the good old southern boys. You know, right? Not not quite like, like a, a like a James Storm maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go with that. Yeah. So why don't we move into the creepiest portion of the uh, event? And I'm going to cue up some music for this part. Doc Hendricks comes out. <laughs> that comes out. <sighs> so we're not selling a t-shirt. No, we're not. The leather the leather daddy himself doesn't have the glasses and the hat on. He is selling like life-size cardboard cutouts of your favorite WWF superstars. Hey, kids. Do you want to have Bret Hart in your bedroom? <laughs> Do you want to have Shawn Michaels watch you sleep? Like, literally, this is the promo. <laughs> what in the world were they thinking? 
that they should have gotten Jerry Lawler stand-ups. Oh my! Oh no! <laughs> no. Oh, what? I mean, it was just ridiculous. Oh, you can have this in your bedroom. Don't you want Shawn Michaels in your bedroom? <laughs> and there, there are people that love those stand-ups too. Like no doubt in my mind. Well, every time I walk by Fye, they're staring at me. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. It's so weird. It's so strange. You I know, don't. Do they still sell, they they still sell those, right? They, I mean, maybe not at a at a live event because they probably don't want you. No, no, definitely not matches. a live event. I, I I'm willing to bet online they got one. They probably got like a Cena one right now. Uh, a Roman Reigns probably one. Cena Roman Reigns. You think they got one? One of the women, at least one of the women, probably. I'm gonna guess Alexa. They have 25 of them on the website. Are you kidding me? Currently? <laughs> all right, all right. Let's how go. Much, how much are they? <laughs> yeah, how much? Uh, are they? 34.99. 35. How much? No, they're they're 35. So, okay, so we have uh, Bray Wyatt the Fiend makes sense. Uh, Ember Moon, Adam Cole, Velveteen Dream, Champa, Alistair Black. Uh, Mandy Rose, you gotta get that. <laughs> TikTok's own Mandy Rose. A uh, Kurt Angle, uh, an iconic. So you get two for the price of one with the iconics. I mean, that's a deal. Yeah, that is a deal. Yeah. And Elias. Is he standing or sitting? Uh, Elias is playing guitar. Okay, it's not in the stool. Uh, Finn Balor, uh, Asuka, uh, Ronda Rousey. Carmella, Becky Lynch, but like NXT Becky Lynch. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they have a, it says 2018 Seth Rollins. <laughs> uh, AJ Styles, a uh, Bobby Roode. Now who would buy a Bobby Roode? Who wouldn't? <laughs> that is true. Alexa Bliss. See, I wouldn't buy the Alexa Bliss because you're not getting that much cardboard. It's, it's, you're, only, you're only getting five it's feet. It's barely of five feet. It's barely five feet. Uh, Roman Reigns. Not just any Roman Reigns. It's Roman names with black and red vest. You have an Undertaker. Uh, Nikki and Brie Bella. Your Hall of Famers. Right in the garbage. Uh, Bra- Brock Lesnar. <laughs> why would you... Why would you... Uh... Never mind. Why are you throwing the Bellas in the garbage? No comment. <laughs> you have a Brock Lesnar. Uh, a rock, bring it, standy, it says. And then finally, and this one's my favorite one. You have an Ultimate Warrior one, but the other ones, you can tell they were professionally done because there's a white background, so it looks like you know they actually stood for the photos. The Undertaker is literally a screen grab from a match that they've then put onto a standy because it has like the ring warrior. ropes and or the Warrior one, excuse me, because it's got the ropes in the back. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, they still sell them. I know what I'm getting you guys for Christmas. <laughs> I, should, I should expect Nikki and Bree, huh? <laughs> yeah, 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 you yeah. should actually get it before Christmas so we can set it up to a train track and recreate Home Alone. Home Alone? Yeah, because he puts the Michael Jordan stand up on the train track oh, and goes through the house. Okay, okay. Train track? You call that a train track? The model train track? Yeah, that's what's on. You don't call it a model train track. You'd see like a model train. No one says track on it. It's on the track. That's how it moves. Otherwise, it's just a model train. The track helps it move. 
Well, you know what? Speaking of train tracks, we've gone off the rails. Boom. <laughs> So, so why don't we go to the next match? I have a bone to pick with the next match, too. This is such... I don't even know what happened in this match. Okay, let me ask you guys this. You are bringing on a brand new superstar, right? You've shown vignettes for months. So you know how you bring them in to make them look good. You have them go 11 minutes with Marty Jannetty. Who is returning, too. So it's technically like two debuts in a way. 11 minutes. You got way too much offense for Marty, way. in my opinion. Way, way too much offense. I mean, Goldust, they must have... The thing that boggles my mind is they put the time into making the vignettes for Goldust, and then they were debuting him on the pay-per-view, but then you still have him struggle with Marty Jannetty? Doesn't, something doesn't add up here. It should have been a squash, without a doubt, getting him over as a new talent... I again watching this with my nostalgia nostalgia goggles on. I mean, I'm like 16 years old. It's like my junior year in high school, and I remember up to this point, I still did not know who the wrestler was. I mean, looking at it now, it's super obvious that you know it was Dustin Rhodes, but I had still no idea, and I was familiar with Dustin Rhodes's career from back in in his 91 shortened WWF run that he had when he was brought in and then when he went to WCW and had his US title run and and his fuse with like Rick Rude and Steve Austin and and so on um but I I I just could not figure out who this character was and even after when he had taken the robe off and he was like saluting the ceiling and all the gold dust was falling down, and he's still standing there with the ridiculously long wig on. I still had no idea. And then when he just throws the wig off and just attacks Janetti, just completely blew my mind that they they were having Dustin play this character. And, and here is where we finally start to hear that common word, uh, Vince McMahon slipping it in there, describing the gold dust character, the androgynous gold dust with all of his gestures and mannerisms in the ring um this character was so so ahead of its time and yeah i'm just it should not have been an 11 minute back and forth match between uh you know gold dust and marty Jannetty. this should have been a three to four minute squash completely getting him over as this new badass character entering wwf do you think they had big plans for Janetti? Because I, I know Kevin just said that he was coming back, so he was he was coming back to television after um, it was it an injury that he was coming back from. I thought it was one of his many personal issues that he's had over his career, right? Because I think he had won the tag titles with Waltman, uh, one two three kid at the Royal Rumble earlier this year. Dropped the titles. The very next night on Raw, back to the smoking guns. And I don't remember Janetti being around for too much longer after that. And then he had just come back earlier in October, maybe maybe late September, after being gone from TV at least six, seven months. And so yeah. I don't I don't I they didn't do much with to my recollection with Janetti afterwards. He was in a mid card eight man survivor series match the following month. He tagged up with Razor, did get a victory, 
and we'll talk about that later on uh, in the December show. And then after that, his run with in '96, he ended up doing the whole new Rockers gimmick, which was oh, com- like, comedy at best. I'm guessing Janetti was brought back as a favor to Shawn Michaels because we're already aware that if you're in the clique officially or if they like you, you're going to get further in WWF at this time. So I'm wondering if he was brought back as a favor. But if he's brought back, he's not the person to put in front of Goldust in the debut. Do this as a later match. Right. Okay, hey, it's the first person to get some offense in on Goldust. This is a more interesting competitive match. Still have Goldust win at the end, but this is like after a month or so. Like give him some squash victories and then put him against someone of this level still win but you know to start building up the character i'm wondering if it was gold dust dustin being so nervous and scared in this debut that he was really off in the match because dustin rose fantastic wrestler still to this day but the gold dust gimmick was such a risk so out there very much so and so you could have certainly imagine i mean he had to make this or it was going to be career suicide without a doubt yeah, so I'm wondering if some of the things that are odd in the match is that he's scared to death. And it, it, honestly, people thought the wig was his real hair. You could you can hear the shock when he rips off that wig. Yeah, and like I said, everyone... no clue who was playing the character. Yeah. And was just in complete shock when, boom, just did the, the quick attack on Gennady and threw the wig away. Oh, it's crazy. But But then... Okay, the wig's off. Now everyone knows it's dust, and now everyone's like, Cause, <clears throat> you know, it's not just WWF. You know, the, everyone's watching in the back. You know, everyone under contract for WCW is watching. ECW's around, and like, there's there's connections throughout the wrestling world. You know, everyone's watching this match. Oh my God, do you see what Dusty's kid is doing? So I'm I'm sure he was probably scared to death. And also, that original Gold Dust outfit is not a well made outfit. <laughs> no, it shows everything. His name's Gold Dust, but he's showing off the family's precious jewels graphically <laughs> throughout the match. Like it really wasn't until he gets the more like shiny material like latex out, gear, a, yeah, like a latex yeah, gear. Yeah, I don't know if it's a thicker material, uh, a more well-made one, where they're like, okay, we need to invest some money in this, too. I don't know. As, a pro, as so opposed this. to the spandex tights. Because, I mean, like, oh, not man. obviously you're, you're making comments about, you know, seeing his, you know, it, it, you know, his junk and whatnot. Like, his thick knee pads were so observable in this gear. And, yeah, it's just... I, again, they're just still, it's brand new to everybody, and they're trying to th- figure things out. But yeah, when he ended up going towards the shinier latexy light gear, it definitely uh, was a little bit more flattering. And, and just look cooler, too. Like yeah, this absolutely. looks like this looks like someone's uh, you know long underwear that they wear underneath other clothes while going out in the woods. So the finish of the match was um, one of many variations of what he eventually ended up calling the final cut his first variation was this face first suplex picking up the character like he's going to do a traditional stand-up suplex but falling forward uh reminiscent or maybe a shout out to uh the one-man gang that was his finisher back in the late 80s uh before he ended up adopting the akeem gimmick so 
interesting debut, so to speak. Lots of miles ahead on this Gold Dust character in various runs that he ended up having in the WWF and WWE. Uh, certainly a welcome addition to the roster and, a, of course, a unique cartoony character to the WWF during this time frame. Yeah, one thing I, I did notice that I that I really, really liked um, coming out of this match, and it's the smallest thing, but Vince on commentary, of course, Goldust coming in with all the gold and, and the, you know, the glitter falling from the uh, sky, just said in his contract... Mm-hmm. With the WWF, he want this is the, the reason he would come out is if he had this entrance. Just the tiny detail that they said on commentary, uh, which you could see someone, you know, saying, "Oh, when I come out, I want I want this in my contract, or I'm not going to wrestle for you." So it's just one of those little detail moments that I I just really enjoyed that we don't see now. Um, just quick thing about the entrance, and and you notice it more throughout the night, but this is first time I notice it. WWF apparently in between shows bought a stencil kit to put over the lights because everyone gets a stencil thing that flashes onto the canvas while they're making their entrance on the canvas or on the entryway floor. Yep. Yep. Um, Looking back, I realized that the guns had one and all, and it's, it's part of that. You know, we, you see a pay-per-view or raw from this, time frame that we're reviewing and then you see one well not now because you know without a crowd but the modern era and the difference in production is insane but it's these little steps that got them that way you you do this one time then you do this thing then you do this thing and then out of nowhere instead of the guardrails we have these black walls around the ring which look amazing too you know but it's all it's little things that progress and then a couple of years later, you're like, I don't even recognize the set anymore. But it happened right. so slowly, I adjusted to every change that they made. Yeah. So following up the Marty Jannetty uh, Gold Dust match, we have another Matt Classic. Oh, yeah. uh, we have King Mabel taking on Yoko Zuna. Um, I have a bunch of notes, but uh, I, the one note I want to share is if you look in the crowd, there's a guy walking around with no shirt on. <laughs> I don't know. What's going on? I just noticed these these dumb little things. But I'm not going to say any of my notes and pass it all to the educator. Because <laughs> the educator, you said you loved this match. And for, for reasons, I don't know why. So just take it away. We'll come back to me. I want you to kick it off. <laughs> Love is a very, very unique word. So uh, King Mabel gets his throne-like entrance being carried to the ring. You probably will notice that. The way that they have the gentleman staggered carrying the throne. Mabel is shifted to his right and is leaning awkwardly. Um, <laughs> probably the reason that is the case is due to uh, a young up-and-coming superstar that was carrying young Ma- uh, Mabel to the ring. I don't know if either of you gentlemen noticed a very young Terry Gurren bringing uh, Mabel to the ring. That would be who would eventually become Rhino in both ECW and WWF and so on, or WWE. Um, but yeah, uh, Mabel getting his, uh, you know, his King entrance uh, commentary made uh, uh, marks about his hairstyle being a little different. The big mohawk isn't all floofy and afro-y. Instead, it was kind of dyed and fried and laid to the side kind of deal. So Mabel, <laughs> Mabel doing some interesting uh, changes to his hair. 
Um, beginning of the match, actually, you know, this is the big battle of the super heavyweights. Mabel running the ropes hard at the beginning of the match, hitting both sets of ropes and hitting a diving clothesline onto Yokozuna. Probably the absolute most impressive component to the match. But after about two minutes, both of the guys were unfortunately crazy, crazy blown up doing either rest holds or holds of leaning onto the ropes or leaning into the corner. Gosh, at one point, Mabel's running off the ropes and goes to hit a running bulldog onto Yokozuna, and Mabel drops down as if he hit the bulldog, but Yokozuna just completely doesn't even leave his feet and just stands there and then decides to to sell it, stumble out of the ring through the ropes onto the floor, and then we end up going to a brawl on the outside of the ring with shenanigans. And um, I, I even think the referee knew that this was an absolute snoozer or crap storm <laughs> of a match because that was the fastest 10 count, double count out that I think I recall in any recent or any history of the WWE. I don't even remember the ref counting. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was just like, all right, let's get this over with a double count up. This could be the Winnetow or the Manitoba screw job. Now, perhaps one of the reasons why it was a relatively short let's get Yokozuna or get them both out of there quick. Um, I know that I made comments earlier in the night with Razor doing double duty. Yokozuna ended up doing double duty as well as he had an actual dark match after this with a tag match with Owen Hart uh, that was actually that was taped for Coliseum video release later. So not too, too much more to say. Um, not too, too. Uh, they face Savio Vega and I want to say maybe Bam Bam. Bam Bam. Yeah. Yeah. Savio it was Owen in the, the last two. It, it, just looking at the Wikipedia, two of the dark matches. Bret Hart had a dark match and Owen had a dark match. Of course, you're in Canada. So true. Um, like I said, the, the first. 30 seconds, Mabel hitting those ropes. And I mean, those ropes were going hard um, and hitting that diving clothesline. But after that diving clothesline, not a good match. Not a good match at all. Mr. Library, anything you want to add to that? Or did I wrote down watching it? This is a fascinating match because you don't usually see two mammoths like this going up against each other they're both heels at the time as well yoko ends up getting a face reaction i think just out of respect it's my best guess we we mentioned uh well educator mentioned previously podcast uh mabel does understand the whole king thing he has come into his own as this character for this match coming out uh, you know being carried out to the ring celebrating being goofy his mannerisms in the ring like he's having fun he's having a blast as this character and he's finally catching on i felt so sorry for everyone carrying him to the ring that just looked horribly painful that looks as painful as the pile driver spot from in your house too it seemed like it was the who wants to lose weight and keep their job match like i you both need to go out there and prove that we should keep you here and mabel nailed it 
I'm not saying that's what happened. This isn't like something I saw in you know interviews or research or anything. It's just it really seemed like you know, can you two put on a good match or not? Has your weight gone too far or is anything? Like this this is it's so weird against Yoko in this quick match that's a double count out. I'd say it's Mabel's best work though that we've seen so far. Overall, you know, character sports entertainer work. It was just it I was I was interested in it for what the hell are you doing? This is different. Let me see where you go from here. MVP, MVP of that match were the ropes. <laughs> um, I do want to say, uh, WWE, I know you're listening. WWE, please, 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 please release a replica WWF Mabel crown. I will buy it today. <laughs> I'll buy it tomorrow. I'll with, buy it yesterday. With the WWF logo on it. I love that thing. It's so cheesy. <laughs> I would totally wear that to every event I go to. I mean, everyone knows I got the infamous uh, photo of me with the Burger King uh, crown on with Vic Venom to my side. So. Oh, God. That was we'll have to post that. March 97, when I we think. Get to, yeah, when we get to that. Yeah. I, is that it in your house? No, that was no, a that was, uh, raw. It was a raw. That was the uh, that was the raw we went to at uh, Sid versus Brat and Brat snap and, and turn heel. Yeah, that's great. Um, I would like seriously though. I, I love that crown. I love stupid stuff. I own a Slammy. I have an urn. <laughs> I have a Money in the Bank briefcase. I want a Mabel crown with the WWF logo. Only if they prepackage it with the Mabel King of the Ring championship belt. You know, they may do it because they're doing like weird replicas on the on uh, the website. I wish I had like unlimited money. I just buy them all. <laughs> but but uh, you got to kind of pick and choose which ones you get. So so, so moving on, uh, let's go to Survivor Series. The only reason I wrote this down is it's prevented by karate fighters. Uh, oh, that's actually, not why I wrote it down. That's not why I wrote it down either. Oh, why didn't you guys? What did you guys write? I wrote the karate fight. I just remember owning karate fighters. So they're doing give what you wrote down in quotes. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I have is the fact that they're announcing what the main event is going to be for Survivor Series and who is actually in the main event for Survivor Series before the finale of this pay-per-view is finished. Is that what you were looking at, Mass Library? No. Oh, no, okay. No, but go ahead with your point. So they were... They were already saying that it was going to be Bret Hart versus Diesel for the World Wrestling Federation Championship, and they hadn't even had the championship match uh, on the In Your House. Now, later on in the night, during commentary, when Bret Hart was ringside commentating for the match against Bulldog and Owen, that it would be Bret Hart versus whoever was the winner of the match, and then Bret was talking about, you know, how he'd want to avenge his loss against the Bulldog, but then that would kind of mess up the whole family dynamic again. So they were trying to salvage it, but in this pay-per-view promo, they were already saying Brett versus Diesel for the WWF Championship. So what did you pick up? I picked up that this being, I mean, internet was around at the time, but it wasn't, you know, as, as commonplace and for every person and, you know, people didn't have it in their homes yet or anything. So we forget that we're in the internet age of wrestling now and we're all smart fans, but Vince McMahon talking about the traditional survivor series match that will feature quote fan favorites and rule breakers on the same side. 
Now we'd say faces and heels on the same side. Like the terms are out, but those inside terms were not publicly known yet. So this is how they're they're marketing it and putting it. And it just surprised me to hear, you know, how, how they're explaining it without being inside. Right. What they end up calling that? The wild card match or something like that? It's, uh, strange Partners. I want to see that uh, Strange Bedfells either because it wouldn't have gone there that far. Uh-huh. <laughs> they they use that during the uh, the Doc Hendricks uh, selling experience. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, something like Strange Partners or something like that. The Dark Side took on the Royals. Ooh. It's funny, though, how we each saw that commercial and we each picked up something different. Yeah. On about a, a 30-second spot. So why don't we have Shawn Michaels come out? Let's relinquish the belt here. Uh, I just wrote it down because he's got a great jacket on. Everyone needs to see. It's like pure 90s. Pele, Pele, baby. love those. You still um, love those jackets? I, I really did. I really did. I thought I could pull one off. Thankfully, I never had one. Um, so you, your two favorite your two favorite jackets in the world are the Pele, Pele jackets and Oakland Raiders gear. Of course. Um, but no, it was that multicolor leather jacket look. Uh, Dustin Rhodes actually had like a really cool one with a big eight ball on the back when he was in WCW. Right. Oh, no, it was cool. So Sean gives up the belt. They award it to Dean Douglas, and then Dean Douglas has to defend it. Um, and he's defending it against Reza Ramon. And what was just these two had no chemistry to me just an odd they did not work well together i think they hated each other in real life too yeah i alluded to that last pay-per-view when they ended up having a singles match that it just didn't seem like that razor was at all into the match at all and it had any respect for dean douglas uh the new guy coming in and as well as you know who was the big fish in the smaller pond of ecw was one of their top stars or the top star at the time coming in, you know, to WWF territory where you've got the um, the the click starting to gain their power backstage. I just, it's too bad. There's just so much about the Dean Douglas run, and I, I'm sure that Troy Martin, Dean Douglas, Shane Douglas. Uh, was by no means a, a, a saint and certainly could contribute to some of his the the misgivings that resulted in his short run but j- just saddling him basically with anything with the click it, it just it didn't work out didn't do him any favors whatsoever very frustrated I, I thought that the match itself yeah it seemed like timing was always off the finish at the very end. And the referee position, staring right at both of the guy's shoulders. If both guys' shoulders are flat down, how can it be a count? You know? And, um, yeah, and they just had did the attempted finish in, in the earlier, like 30 seconds earlier, where Douglas was getting a pin on Razor, and Razor stretched his foot out to reach the, the top, or the, the bottom rope. And then the belly to back suplex or the side suplex. And both guys are just flat, square on their back. Yes, Razor's got his arm over uh, Douglas's chest. But just shoot a shoulder up or something. 
you know, to justify that that was a legit pin. But both guys having all their shoulders flat down on the back and the ref literally right there staring at the shoulders only. And what was even more awkward was just the announcer at the end announcing the winner of the match and, and WWF Intercontinental Champion. And, like, it's just dead silent. And then they say Razor Ramon, and it, and it just, it, like, takes a second or two for the crowd. Like, even the crowd was confused. Like, what in the world just happened? It just it was such a screwy finish. It's just too bad, again, the way Douglas was done that way. It makes me wonder if yeah. this finish was a compromise. Because you could have gone somewhere with this finish. You could have had Dean coming out saying, I deserve a rematch. I wasn't prepared to wrestle Razor that night. I was prepared to wrestle Shawn Michaels. Um, my foot was under the ring rope. They shouldn't, the, it shouldn't have counted between these two things. I deserve a rematch. Oh, it you know, was it was dangling out of the ring. I mean, he had his leg yeah, super like, far out. Like his entire boot hanging off the ring. It was crazy. This could have been like a month of episodes of Raw leading up to the next pay-per-view. You could have had Grill Monsoon saying, you know, well, no, you lost the match fair and square. And then, you, you know, you meet with the, the board of directors or, you know, like just do some ridiculous storyline that he gets his rematch. But he, Dean is just buried in this match. Dean being the heel and well, and, and to go back, uh, I did look it up quickly. That Survivor Series match was called Wild Card. Okay. Um, Dean being the rule breaker and Razor being the fan favorite at the time. Um, they work opposite styles. Razor's beating Dean for the majority of the match, which should be your heel beating on your face to give him the comeback. Right. But it's Razor just dominating him as the face. Dean finally gets some offense. And, and when he does, he looks good. He looks a lot better than he looked at the last pay-per-view when he gets offense. But it's rare that he's getting offense. And then the pin, I'm just wondering if Razor's like, listen, I want to win. Here's how I want to do it. Dean's like, I was supposed to win. And he's still the new guy and probably had, you know, been offered certain things to jump from ECW. And it was like, well, here's how we'll do the pinfall match and it'll lead to the next storyline when they just screwed him over. Um, in my research, uh, uh, Kevin Nash had an interview talking about this match, saying that the click was against Shane Douglas, Dean Douglas from day one. Because he was, quote, an indie guy. And it sounded weird because I'm like, aren't you all indie guys? But they're really not. Between Shawn Michaels, Razor, and Diesel, you have WCW runs and AWA runs. Previous to WWF. Which were, you know, big national promotions. So they have that credit. Shane's coming from ECW, which us growing up with ECW, we have a respect for. And we saw it as the third major national promotion, but you constantly hear wrestlers that weren't in ECW burying it. It's a glorified territory. Well, yeah, most of their shows were out of Philadelphia, but most of the WWE shows are in the Northeast too. So, you know, I don't know what your point is there. It's just that you don't like them. And Shane, I mean, he had two separate runs in WCW. He had his NWA run as the dynamic dudes. And then he had a second singles run and that turned into a tag run with ricky steamboat winning the tag team championships and then shane also had between those two runs his nwa and wcw run he had a singles run for a couple of months in the wwf 
So this he, is he, was, he was the Rumble. He had these crazy yeah. bright neon orange tights. Right. That like so no one else would wear. That he's an like indie that. guy is just ridiculous. It's just reason to hate. But then uh, further in this in this Kevin Nash interview, apparently Douglas ticked off BSK crew as well. And there's a story of they were on a, a European tour, and Douglas said, "My back hurts. I'm not working." Yokozuna chewed him out. He's like, "You think my back doesn't hurt? Right. We all hurt. You go out there and you do it." And apparently, Click is just in the back, like we're out. But if you ticked off the Click and Undertaker's BSK group, you're dead here. Right. <laughs> like you may as well leave now, because <laughs> between the two, there's no you, other. There's no other Click. There's no other group there that's going to have your back. You, if you're not in the group, you at least have to have one of them respect you or like you enough. Okay, we don't hang out together, but I have respect for you, so I'm not going to bury you. He was buried from day one, and I actually, I'm going to jump ahead here. I was so disappointed watching the match and the previous in your house match. I was thinking, was I just was I just a mark? Was I just a, so in love with what ECW was? That to look back, I realized Shane Douglas was not that good. Because, for example, Public Envy is not good wrestlers. But they were given a great gimmick in ECW and made stars there. And they failed anywhere else they went. Because they didn't have that Paul Heyman protecting them. So I went back. I watched Shane Douglas versus Pitbull 2 for the ECW television title from Barely Illegal 1997. And Shane Douglas is great in that match. He's so good match the match along with most of ecw is also on the award-winning wwe network uh the only edit is the music which is a little off but once you get used to it it's fine but shane douglas is fantastic in that he cuts a great promo he wrestles a great match and that's just one match he could do it he was just buried in wwe yeah it's too bad it's it's like we said on a previous podcast where just imagine if they brought shane douglas if he stayed in ecw until the ecw invasion and he was the leader of the ecw invasion like you know playing playing the you know alternate timeline alternate universe history here like he would have been the perfect guy for that even his new blood of russo era wcw run he was still doing great mic work and getting having better matches years later in WCW than he ever had in WWF. So he had the talent at that time to be something, but was just, you know, the, the thumb was on him and that was it. Yeah, it's too bad. It really is. Um, so why don't we get to our main event here? Uh, first things first, we have Bret Hart coming out on commentary. Uh, and chasing the king around. How long was their feud for? Did we answer this Forever. on the last time? God. I mean, we talked about it last time. We didn't look it up, but we talked about it. You know, like, uh, good matches. It's it's mostly an indie thing, but you'll see NXT. You'll see occasionally WWE. When you got a really good match, you get the fans getting up and clapping, fight forever. That's what I felt like seeing Bret Hart and Lawler go at it again. But not in a not in a glorious let me stand up and cheer way, but like, oh my god, this is going on forever. You're still fighting. Yeah, it's still going on. Um Bret Hart later that night would take on uh, Isaac Yankum, um Jeff uh the King Jerry Lawler's personal dentist in a dark match. So 
Just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, and then after that, we actually have another Doc Hendricks commercial. He's selling not one, but two dudes with attitudes all over print shirt. They did not announce any sizes, though. No, no. I actually rewound to see if I missed the sizes. <laughs> yeah, no, no sizes were announced. Keeping that a mystery for, for, for what you get. I guess you got to call first. Uh, we get to our main event. It is the British Bulldog taking on Diesel. Um, what a... it's a match it's a match i thought it was pretty good it's a pretty good match i forgot how good bulldog was am i crazy for thinking like this run he's putting on right now um coming out of the the doldrums of the allied powers tag team and then getting shot up right to the main uh, and, and the storyline here is really good, too, uh, with Brett getting involved. Of course, Brett causes the DQ, uh, and then Bulldog attacks Brett. Uh, and then, you know, you have the Diesel-Brett pull apart for your um, for your main event, basically, um, to, to promote Survivor Series, which, of course, everyone knew was coming up because it was already <laughs> advertised on the card. So you knew what was going to happen. Um, so what did you guys think of this? Uh, let me start with the masked library. Let's switch it up. Library, what did you think? It's it's a very good classic storytelling for match. Here's a big guy, work his legs, wear him down. Bulldog works well. Diesel's working well. You get the interaction with Bret Hart, which... You know, we get our heels and faces. We get a great setup for Brett and Diesel. Um, Cornette is the star of this match. Cornette was amazing. Love Cornette. Cornette. That's some of the uh, dropping elbows on Diesel, attacking them, sneaking around like the roadie who's no longer with the company to sneak up on Diesel and everything. Cornette is a star of this match. He's hysterical. That is exactly what a manager should be. He's wonderful in the match. I'm going to take a Jim Ross example here, though, for what the problem is in the match. It's all steak and no sizzle. It's great basics. It's good wrestling. There's a lot here, but there's nothing exciting in the match. There's nothing to make the crowd pop. There's nothing to get anyone excited. It's Bulldog and Cornette working Diesel's knees. That's it. There's nothing showy. And I'm not saying it has to be a spot fest. I'm not saying that classical wrestling doesn't work. But there's no payoff for all of that work in this match. couple of the bits that I noticed from the commentary during the match with Brett doing the guest commentary, you know, there was, you know, discussions about, you know, who he would rather face, um, Bulldog or Diesel at Survivor Series. Brett had alluded to, you know, he, he's fought Bulldog once before, would love to avenge that loss. And then he starts talking about the whole family dynamic and how, you know, there isn't the friction uh, that he uh, has with Owen. He doesn't have that friction with the Bulldog. While he doesn't like like the direction that Bulldog's career has taken a turn towards, he still has respect for the Bulldog. So, you know, he's planting the seeds that the family dynamic between him and Bulldog is fine, but then you get the finish at the very end where Bulldog slaps Brett um, to finish the match where Brett ends up charging the ring. One of the interesting things during the whole, what the mass library <laughs> talked about the, uh, the working the knees and, and working uh, on diesel at one point, Bulldog attempts and does a sharpshooter on to diesel 
and Bulldog ends up kind of like sitting awkward on it and then falling out of it. And then Brett makes a comment that he should learn how to put it on right. I thought that was a very interesting comment uh, that Brett made during the match. Like I said, the, uh, the crap finish at the end with Bulldog slapping Brett after Brett had got pie-faced earlier in the match from Diesel. So, you know, Brett's out there kind of getting involved with everything. Again, the ring announcer, there was absolute dead silence that Bulldog had won the match. Um, complete dead silence when it was announced that Bulldog had won by DQ. And so there was a big tear apart. Um, we ended up having a bunch of referees coming in uh, from the back to try to separate Bulldog uh, from Brett. And then eventually Brett versus Diesel uh, get into a, a skirmish. Um, not sure if any of you gentlemen picked up on it. Some of the back seat, uh, or the backstage office, uh, staff coming in a very, very pre, uh, announcer, Tony Chimmel with a big run in, uh, as part of backstage staff, trying to uh, separate the fight between Brett and diesel. And then eventually as they continued to con- brawl and they couldn't get and get these guys apart, Brett and diesel, then you've got some of the back, the wrestlers, that came to the ring. You had the smoking guns who were there, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow and who was there and he ended up having a dark match. But one interesting person that was in full gear that was brought out to help break apart Brett and diesel, the Portuguese man of war, Aldo Montoya. (laughs) He was there, but, but didn't have a dark match or anything else. Uh, for the entire night, either before or for the Coliseum videotapings after. So he, he was ready. He was hoping someone to get injured and they put him in. He should have put him in the Intercontinental title match then. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, what what the mask library said, all steak, no sizzle, no real big spots. Um, impressive that Bulldog got uh, Diesel up for the full-blown over-the-shoulder power slam. But Diesel ended up slipping off his back before he ended up uh, delivering it and did the big boot uh, to drop, which, you know, was how he had won the last two uh, pay-per-views prior. So, or at least one of the previous pay-per-views in that. But basic match, I really do think that this probably, that summer from his heel turn until early 96 was probably some of Bulldogs. Actually, no. Um, summer and ni- that whole year, summer '95 to summer '96, where he ended up having the double matches with uh, with Michaels for the WWF title, was probably some of Bulldog's best work that he had. Yeah, he's really hitting a peak, and shot out like a cannon. I'm sure he he probably wanted. It's kind of like, a, oh, you guys forgot how good I am, and I'm going to show you how good I am. Yeah, and he, he's just he's just he's just he looks great at it. All right, um, so why don't we go ahead and let's rank this one. Okay, so last time we left you guys in your house, three is the best, one is in the middle, and two is the worst. Where does this rank? Is this better than two? Oh. Tough. It's close. It's either this one or two is at the bottom. I would probably yeah, remember, remember it's in your house, two is the Lumberjacks. Uh, in your house too is the lumberjacks. Uh, the thing is, it's got that great double J HBK match. 
that's what the, that's what two has. This one doesn't have a match that comes close to Absolutely that. Absolutely not. Um, but I would think I would think the Bulldog Diesel match is pretty good, and the tag team Smoking Guns Razor One Two Three Kid is also really good. So I, I would probably put this probably in the number three spot overall, or if not, it, it was the worst of the four so far. Certainly nowhere near as good as the first or the third in your house that we've alluded to already. What do you think, Kevin? Um, I think I'll put it third spot. I would agree. Probably third spot as well. Yeah. So we got a, we got like a Syracuse sandwich because <laughs> we have one and one and four together and, and Syracuse plays an integral part of both. Of us. Uh, uh, I think, I think tag match was the best match of the night. And while a lot of them weren't great matches, there's stuff there to like. Gold Dust debut, you know, the the Mabel Yokozuna for the train wreck that it is, what Dean Douglas and Razor is. Like, there's stuff that is more interesting than the... There's nothing matches that are more interesting than nothing matches for the other pay-per-view. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, it's just funny. I want to bring this up real quick. Everyone always talks about the night after Mania, right? And all the great debuts you get and, you know, how exciting it is. But no one talks about the night after uh, the Great White North. (laughs) Because on the Monday night following this on Raw, the debut of Avatar, the Ninja Ranger played by Al Snow himself debuts on Raw the next day. Now, if I recall, he walked to the ring without the mask and then put the mask on when he got to the ring. And that's kind right. of transformed him and gave him his powers. Yeah. Right. Which, ironically enough, is the plot of the new Netflix WWE movie main event. True. Jeez. The kid finds a powerful mask. <laughs> <laughs> free ads, though. I, we'll I haven't watched it yet. Let's see if Al Snow's listed as a producer. Yeah, two things I want to watch. I will. I will give you guys my uh, take on the Big Show show. Yeah, I do want to watch that. The movie. I do want to watch that. Just to see, you know, the ridiculous of it. It looks you mean, terrible. You mean WrestleMania? WrestleMania Dark Match star the Big Show. Yeah. Post post credit yeah. WrestleMania. Who I didn't realize WrestleMania was going to be three nights this year. <laughs> I didn't realize it was part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. um you know what mr Uh, mass library why don't you if you could watch the big show show and i don't think we are really the uh demographic they're going for can you get your son's opinion of it oh he's already curious about it i played a little thing for it and he's like is he is he real that's that my kid's six but um a big thing right now is figuring out for things on tv what is real and what isn't so the big, you know, I mean, he's aware, like, okay, the Avengers aren't real. It's a movie. Um, he doesn't think John Cena is real. He's like, no, that's that person's too big. That must be, you know, not that he knows what, like, special effects, CGI, stuff like that is. But, like, I had to show him John Cena stuff to be like, no, that's a real dude that's actually that big. So I think he's seen Big Show for things, and like, there's no way that's real. That must be like, you know, whatever they do for Thanos, it must be the same thing to make him look like that. So yeah, I'll, I'll throw it on tomorrow. How his little mind works. Better in mind. Yeah, sometimes. you should watch. Yeah, you should watch that one, and then I, I do. I'm curious about the main event movie as well. It's got Keith Lee in it. 
gotta watch it what do you think of these movies educator definitely gonna be something i'm gonna be tuning into to see wow (laughs) definitely interested in both without a doubt it's like a trade rock you gotta gotta watch it is this a tease are we gonna mention it a little bit on the next show then Maybe. I don't know. If I watch it in time, I, I got nothing but time, but I also got a Madden League I'm in, so I got to make sure I play my Madden games. I'm trying to win a Super Bowl with the Bills. It's tough. It's tough work. All right, guys. I think that's going to do it for uh, for us, I would say, unless you guys have anything else to add to this great uh, event. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. So I am Maddie Treats. You can find me uh, on Twitter at Maddie Treats. Uh, If you have any questions about the house show or anything like that, please feel free to send them our way. Um, You can, you know, uh, tweet them to myself or Mr. Mast Library. I did want to give another special shout out to the Retro Network. Thank you for uh, having us on your your great channel. Please, everyone, subscribe to the Retro Network. Um, That 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 mega I call it the mega feed for podcasts where you're getting a new podcast pretty much every day. It's fantastic. Uh, Different different kinds of uh you know topics you know ranging and they're just it's it's just all good stuff so uh you know download it find out your favorites and uh just keep listening to it um uh mr educator what do you want to say anything you on twitter yet not on twitter yet not going to be on it anytime soon just living life through basic social uh social distancing uh (laughs) And uh, keeping it real only on the Facebook. Again, I want to say thank you to the Retro Network for hosting our podcast. Definitely encourage all, all anyone. Lots of different content on that on that website, and lots of different feeds that you could certainly click on and and and, and get your retro on. Yeah. Um, so he's not on Twitter, but he is on TikTok. So look him up. So uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> and then uh, one of the, the mass library, why don't you, why don't you uh, go home for us? All right. Thank you to everyone for listening. This has been a great project. This has been uh, a way to stay sane during the coronavirus, the pause, the whatever you want to call it. And uh, it's looking like spring outside. So we can be going home and not be stuck up in the great white north of New York State. All right. I'm surprised that Owen didn't do a run in there. So. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for us. We will see you next week. Uh, same, uh, you know, in your same, I don't know. Got to go. Bye. <laughs> I couldn't think of what I was going to say.